You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi there, this is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Alright everybody, hey we're back for another episode of the Epic Marvel Crossover Podcast. Crossover Podcast, Crossover Podcast, Crossover Podcast. This time we're, uh, we're coming to you from uh, from socially distanced because yes. of the, uh, the, the COVID-19. Ah, uh, gotta love the corona. Yeah, the Rona. The we're Rona. facing the Rona. Yeah, we're facing the Rona out here in California. <laughs> yeah, um, don't you think? Uh, real quick, Will, don't you think that would have made a hell of a Limp Bizkit song back in the day? <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends on depends on what you define as a hell of one. I mean, it, <laughs> I'm, sure I'm just would, I'm just talking about one that would make sense only to the fans of the Limp Bizkit. So, understood. Yeah, agreed. Are you down with the Rona? Yeah, <laughs> the Rona. The okay. Rona. Okay, right. that's it. We're not a music podcast. So. Nope. nope. We're here to, we're here to talk comics. If this is your first time joining us, um, we show up about once a month or so on the Epic Marvel podcast feed here, uh, thanks to Curtis Finley. And we want to always thank him and, and what he does for, for his his own podcast. So thanks for having us and not kicking us out yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and seriously, you should if you just tune in for this podcast definitely thank you for the support but if you haven't listened to the epic marvel podcast we just heartily recommend that you take time because curtis is doing deep dives on deep collections and there's yep. awesome stuff to be yep. found on that feed so go check it out yeah, especially like the interviews he always he always oh. asks some really good interesting in-depth questions on the interview so always a fun listen one of the best um, podcasts on the internet so so he so he, what we do here is we break down a Marvel crossover every every episode, and you know this would be an intercompany crossover, not like you know we're not talking like X Men Avengers, no, 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 we're talking we're talking like a Marvel character crossing over with some other company character, like someone from DC or someone from you know Image, Image or whatever Image Comics or Dark Horse or you name it, you know, right. Right. An, inter, an intercompany crossover, if you will. Exactly, and uh, you know, we were thinking this week it's it's time to it's time to tackle one of the biggins, right? One of the big ones out there. One of the when when you hear people talk about intercompany crossovers, it, it's often on the list, right? Dare I, dare I say one of the legendary crossovers? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. There, there's a whole history and a story along with this one. Um, so what we're looking at today is uh, JLA Avengers. So this is the, the crossover between Marvel and DC of the Justice League of America and the Avengers. Yes, and uh, it, you know, I mean, just how should I put it? If you want to see a, ser- a miniseries uh, that couldn't be hyped any bigger 
this is the one like this is this is the most legendary one because it came so close after x-men titans that was on a previous episode of ours and this is this was supposed to happen 30 something years ago right (laughs) and wow uh, they teased us. There were finished pages. I believe there, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Will, but I think the majority of the series or the, at least the first issue was done. And, uh, by also penciled by the same penciler of this series, George Perez. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because of the little internecine warfare between the two companies, it was shelved and, right. uh, never saw the light of day until, uh, it, you know, some of the pages were scanned and put in the pages of Wizard Magazine, which made me go, the Batman and Captain America had a fight? I, I wanted to see that. Yep, yep. Yeah. No, yeah, no, you're exactly right. They they were in progress working on this uh, in the early 80s. Uh, the success of, of the Teen Titans X-Men, which is one of the greatest crossovers ever made. It, it was so great. If you haven't read it, read that book, go back and listen to our episode on that. But in the wake of that, they were planning to do the JLA Avengers, got partially through working on it and shelved it because of, you know, whatever politics, intercompany politics, whatever Jim Shooter versus whoever, you know, it was, it was Dick Giordano who was at the switch. Uh, Paul Levitz was right above him. Uh, I think this was during Jeanette Kahn's day as president of DC publishing. Um, yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I think that there's uh, one good group of people to blame at both companies, and that would probably be the lawyers. And, <laughs> you know, if you're an attorney out there, bless you, but come on, you're used to taking the hit at this point, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So, gotta say, it's probably the lawyers. There's a good chance of that. So, uh, it, this came out in. Like we said, it was supposed to be early 80s. It, it didn't come out until 20 years after, so around 2003. Yeah. Um, it was late 2003, early t- 2004. They they published this as a four-issue miniseries. Uh, the entire series was written by uh, Kurt Busiek, you know, a very a long-time uh, Marvel, uh, just a long-time comics writer. The guy's been around the block. I mean... And, I, and one of the most uh, successful... Uh, careers and lauded careers, you know, uh, just two little books he did were Marvels right. with Alex Ross, and then of course his his uh, on again off again uh, on and still technically ongoing masterpiece, which is Astro City. So uh-huh. right, just a genius writer in general. Yeah, and, yeah, just a very solid, like uh, you know, a, a comics guy through and through. Oh yes, great Twitter follow also. Yep, yep. Always, always interacting, always posting. You know, you don't always have to uh, agree or or, exactly. or, uh, or you know think that his opinions are quite. You know, may, they may not be in line with yours, but he's he's an interesting guy to follow. Always has interesting ideas and 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 thoughtful uh, views on on anything going on in the comics community. Exactly, exactly. And um, then and then, like ahead. we said, George Perez, the the legendary, right. Ill, equally legendary illustrator. Uh, doing the artwork for this one, and uh, this well, he's, was, yeah, he's doing full pencils and inks. Yes, yes, 
and uh, we'll get more deep into the the weeds on that as the podcast uh, progresses. But you know, George Perez. I mean, both of them are Eisner Award winners. Um, you know, both of these guys have had legendary runs. You know, on books like JLA or Avengers. Mm-hmm. Hell, Busiek and Perez resuscitated the Avengers franchise after the debacle that was Heroes Reborn. So, right. you know, but both of them had equal foots, uh, foots. I, I can't talk good during the <laughs> Rona. Uh, they had, they had feet in both worlds. They, they were both, uh, at various times, uh, working on Marvel books and DC books. So right. they have a, a long history of love with both of those, uh, franchises. Yep. Yep. No. And, and George Perez is, I mean, he did. What would you say is what? Where did George Perez really become a name at? Was it was it doing? It was doing DC Superman and stuff, or, or actually you- even before that, I would say. I would say. I mean, George Perez got, uh, first cut his teeth as an artist over at Marvel. Right. Um. I I started reading him on of all things Marvel two and one starring the thing that was his team. Up sure. Right. 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 Uh, especially during the Project Pegasus saga. This is going back like nineteen seventy. <laughs> blah blah blah. But um, I think where George Perez became a superstar penciler was uh, the new Teen Titans with him and, and Marv Wolfman. Right, uh, right, yeah. Writing partner. And he was also inked by the by the uh, great Romeo Tangal for the majority of that run as well. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. No, and, and so this is kind of interesting because I'm not familiar until I read this. I don't know if I could think about a book where George Perez was doing full pencils and inks. Yeah, in fact, I think the only books that he did full pencils and inks before that, I want to say he had some creator-owned work. Um, oh, gosh, what was it? I think it was Saxon Violence mm. uh, was the name of the book that he did in the 90s. I can't remember uh, who helped him write it. But that's something for the kids. If you can look that up on the interwebs and then hit us up, uh, <laughs> hashtagging, uh, using the hashtag epic crossover, uh, we definitely appreciate it. For sure. Um, now, just to, just to finish out the credits, we have Colors by Tom Smith, um, Letters by Richard Starkings, of course, one of the great letters. Tom yep. Smith, I'm, I'm not familiar with Tom Smith. Uh, are you? I, I'm really not. I mean, I know that it's one of those... You know, this is no slight to him because I think our colorists are some of the unsung heroes in the comic book industry. Um, But this is the book that I I really remember him for. And I remember him being around, especially during um, uh, the beginnings of computer coloring, really making uh, an impact into the comic book industry. But beyond that, I'm not familiar with his credits. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, neither am I offhand. Um, but and and I, I I will admit, I'll full heartedly admit that I I don't pay attention to the colors as much as I probably should. Right? I mean, they are the unsung heroes of a yes, lot of they color are. books. Um, but what I will say is, is is to me, colorists are like one of those things, like a like a sound editor in film, where if they're doing their job right, you don't notice them. Exactly. You know what like- I mean. Yeah, like the other color should go, wow, did you see that palette he used? You know, right. it, it's it's those things where uh, if if there's a if there's a problem with the coloring, it's glaring. If yep. there's if it's brilliant color work, like like, for instance, uh, Laura, uh, Laura DePay Martin, 
who did work with uh, Brian Hitch on mm-hmm. The Authority. Hell, it's done most of Brian Hitch's work, I think. Uh, she's like one of the few colors that just really come to mind as as having this unique, brilliant kind of, of style. Right. And uh, we can get into the coloring. I, I, I do have some issues with the coloring yeah. of this book. I, I do too, and we'll get yeah. into that. Um, yeah. But let's let's dive in. So we're talking yeah. JLA Avengers a little yeah. bit, right? Um, let's just start out like you're more the DC guy. Tell me, tell me a little bit about JLA at this point in time. So at this point in time, uh, Justice League. Now, I don't believe he was on the book at this point. I could be wrong, but uh, in the late '90s, starting around 1997, uh, Justice League had kind of, I won't say hit hit hard times but you know justice league had gone through you know it's silver age original incarnation it had been through the bronze age what they call the satellite era where the membership swelled up to 15 members mm-hmm. um not so much different than the avengers at one point right uh then it contracted then there was sort of the late 80s uh legends rebirth that john byrne uh spearheaded where right. we got Right. Legendary uh, Giffen de Matias, Kevin Maguire, Bwahaha run. Um, and this was after the tail end of the Bwahaha run, uh, Justice League became uh, a superhero book that, that had split into two books Justice League International or Justice League America and Justice League Europe. Um, the, the two teams then, uh, which sold really well at the beginning, but then kind of fell on hard times. And then to really capitalize on the shoulder pads era of comics, uh, they were, they split, they, 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 there was a schism in the justice league where one team, you know, wanted to stay for truth, justice in the American way. And the other one, uh, wanted to, to be extreme, so they split into Justice League of America and Extreme Justice. Yeah. <laughs> can you get more nineties? I mean, oh my gosh, it was it was you know, and it's like what well, Blue Beetle wouldn't kill anybody. What are right. you talking about? You know. So anyway, the, those books sales even though um there were some like i i really enjoyed i didn't like the writing on it as much but i don't know if you remember the illustrator chuck vojkovich mm-hmm. um he had this this really nice um i don't know how to call it but an open style you know he had this just real nice character design style um which reminded me of the jose luis garcia Lopez kind of kind of line work it wasn't exactly maybe a little bit more cartoony version than that and uh you know but despite that what I thought was was some really great art on the books the sales weren't there so uh DC brings in uh, a guy who had revamped a little book called uh Animal Man uh a guy who had who had done uh some tremendous work at Vertigo uh this this member for a gentleman from a, across the pond named Grant Morrison yeah put, put him together with Howard Porter and brought back the core concept of the world's greatest superheroes with right. the, with the founding seven members of the Justice League of America under the new title JLA keep it punchy 
And it was uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, and Aquaman. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a guy who, in the first four issues, they fought off an invasion of white Martians from Mars. The, ne- <laughs> the next two issues after that, um, there was a rogue angel in heaven that had enough of the had had enough of mankind taking attention off of them from the presence or God. So this rogue angel Asmodel takes an army from the bull host of heaven to invade earth. And it made me like electric blue Superman for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) So that should give you a sense. I mean, just in the, in the first seven issues, they fight off an alien invasion of people who all have the, the power of the Martian manhunter. And then they fight off actual angels from heaven. And it just, it was just one slew of crazy ideas after another first year on that book is amazing and then you know he had this three-year plan so i'm i'm assuming this is probably mark wade had taken over for him at this point um and it was just it was this real high concept decompressed kind of storytelling which was just about telling these these stories of mad wonderful ideas um and 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 underwriting them with a little bit of character beats so that mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. didn't feel like a Superman book or a Batman right. book or a Wonder right. Woman book. Sometimes like there was this um, Mark Wade came in to do a two issue guest spot while uh, Morrison needed a break. And um, Kyle Rayner, who I just hated as a Green Lantern because I'm a big, <laughs> I'm wearing my Green Lantern ball cap right now. And I'm such a Green Lantern fan. I just hated Green Lantern, uh, Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern. And um, this, it, it was uh, somebody who put the earth to sleep and, you know, into this mm-hmm. dreaming state and all that. Anyway, the, the punchline, the, the punch of the story was, is that uh, Kyle Rayner was a, was afraid to take on the menace with uh, the other two heroes he was with. I think it was Martian Manhunter and possibly Batman or Superman. I can't remember right. But one of the guest stars was Daniel, uh, who took over from Mo- uh, more, uh, <sighs> Morpheus <laughs> from the Endless. So he had made uh-huh. this made this special appearance with the blessing of Neil Gaiman, and sure. he was he was sort of their Phantom Stranger kind of guide character. And uh, you know he's he's telling he's telling Daniel, Daniel, I I don't know if I can do this. I'm not like Hal Jordan. I'm not unafraid of what's going on here. And he, and Daniel just smiles at him with this little glint of, of light that's literally coming out of his shadowed eyes and said, and that is what your fear is, what will make you the greatest Green Lantern of them all, mm-hmm. which in two panels completely turned the entire mythology of the Green Lantern Corps on its head. <laughs> if, if you follow the Green Lantern, in which, you know, later in, in Green Lantern Rebirth, are, you know, you can almost say that Jeff Johns took some of those themes to, to play with and inverse the myth and inflect the mythology with what is fear and why is it a driving force for us, not just our complete resistance right. to it. Right. So, so I'm getting yep. into the weeds here, but, but it was, <laughs> it was just the, the JLA was, was just a vanilla property for years and years, but Grant Morrison turned it into this property. Like, wow, I can't wait to see these seven characters co-mingle again next month. Right. Month after month after month. And he is the guy who 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 gave me a love for the Kyle Rayner character. Now, 
which I thought was impossible at that point. <laughs> so. so what I'll say is, is the JLA, I mean, you already named off kind of the core group, right? right. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, right? Yep. Yep. Um, this book also features Plastic Man and the Atom. Right? Correct. Um, Correct. Now, now, they're going up. They, these are not just. I mean, these are they, these aren't just big superheroes in the DC universe. These are the biggest. Yes. Right? In fact, because, what what I should say real quick, Will, is that at this, you know, at the end of Morrison's run, he had basically forged an even larger JLA to take on this universe-shattering threat called Magadon, and the whole purpose was is to establish the Justice League as the gods of Mount Olympus. To mm-hmm. where he actually drew parallels between Superman and Zeus, Batman and Hades, Aquaman, Poseidon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they were very much the mythological gods of the DCU. Right. right. Now, now, see, and that's where it differs a little bit with the Avengers in that yep. the Avengers at this point in time, yes, they do have some of the biggest heroes in the Marvel Universe, but they also have a lot of, I don't want to say the you know, smaller ones, but I want to say like kind of tech second tier. Yeah. Right? You know, um, it, I mean, they're, the, look, these are not the, 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 the superheroes from New Jersey and Pennsylvania. These are right. the, no, no offense to new, my mom was from New Jersey. So please everybody <laughs> don't, don't at me. Okay. But they, you know, the, the Avengers are, was a, is, is a collection of big heroes and not so big heroes right. and, and how they play together. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I'm No, no, you're good. You're good. And yeah. and and so at this time, I mean, the Avengers was led. This is post, you know, after you know in the in the late 80s and early 90s, you had the two Avengers teams, right? You had the Avengers, the core Avengers, and then you had the West Coast Avengers, right? Exactly. And, and you kind of had you had Captain America's team and you had Iron Man's team essentially. Right. Yeah. yeah. And now at this point in time, they've reformed into just kind of one core Avengers group. Um, that and, and which of course is Captain America. It is Iron Man. It is Thor. Right. Those yeah. are three of the Avengers, as most people know them today, especially from the movies. Right. Those are your yeah. three core. The big three. Um, right. And then now, then they're joined in this book specifically by what I kind of consider. To me, it's kind of the most kind of classic lineup, right? Uh, it's not classic in the sense of this isn't where they started, but it's classic in the sense of kind of what I think of when I think of the Avengers, you know, which is Wasp, Yellow Jacket, Quicksilver, Vision, and Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye, right? Right. So, right. so you know, Wasp has been around for quite a long time as an Avenger. Uh, Quicksilver... Vision, Scarlet Witch have kind of come in and out quite a bit, um, and then Yellow Jackets kind of come in and out a little bit. So um, these aren't, you know, again, this isn't like like we said with JLA. We have kind of the gods of the universe. With the Avengers, it's a little more. I don't want to say street level, but it's a little more, you know. Well, you know, they're 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 kind of like a global response. Like they're the they're the Yankees. Right. You know, they're they're the Yankees, you know, and and for a while they were the Yankees and the Dodgers with the 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 Avengers East Coast and the Avengers West Coast. But they were never, you know, they yeah, they they sometimes assisted in universe shattering things, but typically like they were a smaller piece like in the Cree Scroll War. Right. You know, they they were <laughs> without Rick Jones of all people, they could not have t- <laughs> finished the Cree Scroll War 
alive, yep. you know, and, and, and that's the thing is that the Avengers are like major league baseball players, but the justice league, and this, this shows you the difference between the two universes, you know, where you have like major players like the Avengers, but then the DC universe, these people are icons. They yep. are, they are these larger than life. Like even the kinds of stories they tell where the whole earth, you know, if you look right, at right. stories scale, of Avengers, scale yeah. and scope, right? Yeah, scale and scope. It, it's like comparing apples and oranges. That's why yep. when anybody on the, on, on, at the playground at school or later on in college, when we get into the who would win debates, I'm like, you're comparing apples and oranges. You know, the, these are tales of, of, of cops and robbers in the Marvel right. universe versus tales of like Odysseus and, right. and, and Perseus on the other side. You just exactly. they, they don't compare. And this is why, and, and, and this is a little bit off topic, but uh, you know, I just want to get into this just for a second sure. before we dive into the book. That's also part of why I think that the JLA never made a whole lot of sense to me personally because of Batman. Yeah. Batman to just doesn't fit in that group to me. Um, it's because he's not one of those gods, right? Like he's not this ultra powered, ultra, you know, he's just a rich guy with a vendetta, right? But and, will, but will, you know, how, how much money does he really have? I mean, that he could right. buy his way into that right. club. Come on. Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and that's why he always seems out of place, you know, because he, he, Batman is, is the DC hero that feels street level. Right. right. And that's 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 where he it always seems weird to me. And it always feels odd when I read DC stories or I read JLA specifically. It just it, it always seems like he just doesn't fit. Um, but yeah, that's even me, you know, yeah, and, 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 and and it's understandable. But, you know, it's funny because I was just talking about Graham Morrison's run almost ad hominem. And, you know, the the, the punchline to who beats back the white Martians Mm-hmm. Isn't any of them because White Martians comes pack and Kryptonite, and mm-hmm. they they take out all the super powered members of the JLA, but leave Batman because they think he's a human, and then Superman, who's being radiation poisoned with Green K, turns to the leader of the Hyper Clan, uh, that's the the White Martian race, and just kind of looks at him and goes, "You left Batman." He's the most dangerous man on earth. And, <laughs> and that's his that's his superpower, really, is that he is the most dangerous member of the JLA because right. he has, even though, yes, he has peak human abilities that would really much better put him in the Defenders or the Avengers or you name it in the Marvel U. It's the the level at which Batman thinks is what puts him on that mythological scale. And and that really was no better written than by Morrison in his JLA pages at the height of that, of that run. All right. Yeah. I think it's time, but we, we spent enough time kind of jammering on about this stuff. Let's get into the book a little bit. This, this is a four-issue miniseries, and, and we're not going to go, you know, I think we can kind of stick to overarching plot points. Um, Please? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> this is a big... So, I, think, I think maybe a, even almost a reader's warning is necessary for yeah. this book. Okay. I, I, I'm going to just start out by saying... Yeah, go for hard, it. I had a hard time with this book. I didn't read it when it came out. I have very little interest in the JLA. I, I like the Avengers some, right? I found this book a slog. 
I found it really hard to enjoy. Uh, there's 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 aspects I enjoyed about it. There's things that I thought were good ideas or interesting ideas, but I think overall, it just it I really had a hard time with it. Yeah, and I th- I think that's fair. Um, you know, and 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 just to kind of pull the let the audience see behind the curtain, so as to speak. Um, I've been lobbying to do this book for a while because I had such fond memories of this book from reading it. God, is it really 20 years ago that this book came yep. out almost 17 years? Yep. Um, and at the time, so I'm going to split this to BJ and AJ before Jim and after Jim had read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call it that, but I'm, I'm going to just say <laughs> the before the pro, before podcast BP, um, maybe you want to edit that. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying, <laughs> um, but the, what I'm trying to say is this, um, at the time this book came out, I was a big fan of both titles because I've, and I think I said this, especially during the X-Men uh, New Teen Titans uh, uh, episode that we did. I'm a fan of team books because I didn't have sure. all the money in the world when I was a kid and I could get the most bang for my buck. I mean, a book with Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and Hawkeye right. and all these other characters. Great. A book with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. You know, especially my young brain didn't get Alan Moore's writing on Superman until much later in life. And I, I hate myself for that. <laughs> um, you know, and so I always lean towards team books. I like team dynamics. You know, I'm a manager in real life, so I, I love putting teams of people together. And these books have already have always spoken to me, both on the DC and the Marvel sides. Um, so back then, when this first came out, I, I was just lapping it up because you know it had everything. You know, because this book, and you know, and and will you know tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you got much sense of who Chrono was. Mm-hmm, who's mm-hmm. the master villain from the DC side? Yeah, because he is deep, deep at this point, deep, deep DC cosmic mythology cut. You know, from the Green Lantern books, mm-hmm. and I knew it because I've been a Green Lantern fan since the early '80s. So I was like, "Holy crap, Krona!" Mm-hmm. You know, but I was I was apparently one of the few who got that. Now there are more people who are aware of the Grandmaster. Yeah. You know, he's also not the most well-recognized entity, and we didn't get into the most well-recognized entities until later in this book. Yeah. So, but that's 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 for later in the show. What I'm trying to say is this: I just loved all the Easter eggs. I loved all the fights. Mm-hmm. We, Superman, Thor fighting. Ah, this is what I wanted for years. Right. You know, right. this is better than Marvel versus DC to me. So. You know, twenty-something year younger Jim was really into this because it was like a culmination of everything he wanted to see since he was a kid. Now revisiting the book seventeen years after it came out, um, God, I started reading this and I, I was going into it with full into the first issue with full gusto. And I'll tell you, well, the the and I love Kurt Busiek's books. Yeah, I love yeah. Kurt Busiek books. Um, you know, his run on Iron Man at Marvel, his, this, you know, the time that we talked about when, uh, you know, the, the post heroes reborn yep. or the heroes reborn Avengers, I should call them. They did with, with Perez was great, but there was so much plot in this book that it felt like I had to, it, it wasn't a brick wall, but I'll tell you what, it was like some of the toughest landscaping i've yep. ever had to cut through as far as understanding and how this book was laid out 
and that's what I'll say. This book didn't, you know, unlike unlike a plot like uh, Batman Punisher Dumpster Fire, <laughs> with a plot that just didn't make any sense, right? right the right. plot was just absurd. This plot made sense. It was just kind of convoluted. It was kind of stretched out. It like it like the parts that were interesting there weren't enough of, and the parts that weren't interesting there was too much of. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Um, so with that, let's kind of get into it a little bit. This this plot revolves around essentially the merging of two universes. Yes. Right? So we have two universes. We have the Marvel Universe. We have the DC Universe. Um, and what we come to find out is that essentially you have these two cosmic beings, the Grandmaster on the Marvel side, yep. um, Krona on the DC side, yep. and they make a bet. Right. <laughs> Essentially, they, yes. Right, they make a bet, right? And this is what the Grandmaster does, right? Right. So, 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 Krona is is on a mission to find out kind of the secrets of the universe, right? And, he wants and, to find out how the universe was made. He wants to know the secrets of the Big Bang, and he's doing this by essentially going to planets, you know, sucking up as much, you know, or trying to get knowledge from people, and then destroying the planets. Exactly. Right. You know, and and there's you know sort of a a, a two part prologue where uh, you know he attacks Archon and Thundra's uh, side dimension of Polamachus, which is like magical super technology Hyperborea Conan mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. in the Marvel universe, and then the Earth three antimatter universe where the crime syndicate, the evil JLA are fighting mm-hmm. the weaponers right. of Quard, and uh, he wipes out both those pocket universes and then goes after the the, the main entree, as it were, uh, afterwards. So, you know, it, it, the, the the book, st- I almost said movie, the, the book starts with Easter eggs aplenty for fans of both the Marvel and the DC universe. But that therein lies the problem is, is that there's, he almost, in this book, because, you know, well, I think this is, this is no slight on you because you said it yourself. You're not a big DC reader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this book has to do for it to work the way that they intended it for, to work. There's so much world building that had to go into laying the foundation for DC readers mm-hmm. who don't read much Marvel and vice versa. Right. You know, right. so that they could understand each other's worlds. Whereas right. I think in other crossovers like the aforementioned X-Men New Teen Titans, it was just assumed, hey, we're both on the same planet. I don't see why mutants are so bad. I don't agree right. with that. Let's right. go fight some cosmic bad guys. Well, uh, now what, a- what I had a problem with um, is also from the, from the art perspective. And okay. I mean, I know George Perez is, you know, is one of the the seminal guys right right uh, uh, and and some of this i think is due to the color issues that we talked about a little bit previously Fair. right yeah but some of it is it felt like every page every spread had as much stuff jammed dude to it as it possibly could right um right like, there was blast there's rocks flying there's there's you know five superheroes running around there's just i mean it's so much action in every panel to where it felt like you didn't get a chance to breathe at any point. You know, you and know what is, I mean? It, oh, absolutely. And this is one of those books that I wish would come out and I know it'll never happen, but I wish that an absolute omnibus edition would come out that would have the script included with this. So I could mm-hmm. read the script that Busiek wrote. Mm-hmm. Cause I want to know the 
density of his panel right. descriptions. Yeah, yeah. Was this, is this a George Perez decision versus right. a Usyak decision? Right. You know, I, it's funny. I was watching a Sci-Fi Wire interview uh, with Mitch Garads, um, the guy who did the magnificent Mr. Miracle Maxi series with Tom King over at DC. And it, some people might or might not know that it was done entirely in nine panel grid, mm-hmm. um, like Watchmen. Right. And, you know, one of the things he said was, uh, you know, you know, he was asked a question about why do it in the nine panel grid? And he goes, well, I like to do it because it helps contain time. And that's the right. way Tom wrote it. But, you know, and Tom wrote it for me knowing that I wouldn't bitch about it. Like some artists who bitch about having to draw more than right. five panels on a page. Yep, yep. But you had, I counted, there's one double page spread where I want to say I'd lost count. It might've been 15 or 16 different inset panels layered over this giant double page spread. Right. Right. And so that's essentially 17 different works of art that you're looking yeah. at. And, and, no, you know, I mean, they would dwell about George Perez. I'll just say this one last piece. His hyper detailing. I mean, this guy was no John Byrne. This guy, this guy ha- could draw bricks on a brick wall from a thousand yards out camera view. I don't know if that served the story as well as it, it should have. Right. And I mean, to, to your point on the panels, there's even a page in the first issue about, oh, I don't know, 25 or six pages in. There's like, you know, you're talking about inset panels. There's like 15. Yeah. I think we're talking about, I think we're both talking about the same thing. I'm not sure. But I mean, if you read this book, you'll, you'll sit there and go, my eyes. And then he does stuff later in the series where right. you see multi or inter, weird interdimensional layouts that are like, what your brain warps and i mean this is this and it's on one level it speaks to his amazing artistic talent but on the other hand it's like man you know you were giving my brain too much to cogitate on and that's the thing and i think the color the color issues add to that where because the colors are very dense and very bright right yes high contrast yes they they stand out they pop but they're very. I mean, there's a lot of colors per page. And so to be and to be sure, go ahead. Will. Go yeah, ahead. No, 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 go you ahead. Add, you add all those George Perez lines with all those panels on the inset, with all the characters going on, and then layer on all these colors. It's it becomes. I mean, I hate to say it, and I don't mean this as negative as it sounds, but it becomes a pile of slop. Yeah, right. it's, it's it's hard. It's hard on the ice because George Perez has a very heavy ink style when he, he he's been inking his own work. Um, I think I saw, you know, I'm not sure. Again, I might need to be checked on this. So forgive me if I'm wrong. But during his Wonder Woman run, I think there was at least when he drew the covers initially, I think he might have inked the covers himself. Mm-hmm. And he, he started doing some interiors. And so it might have been earlier than some of his creator own stuff. Um, but I, I just... He, I mean, it's already highly defined. And then, you know, to be fair to the colors of the time, just so you, people understand, computer coloring was new. Right. But then as far as the coloring goes, it's endemic to the time because computer coloring was kind of a new thing. Right. It's only a few years old at this point, and everything was oversaturated. It, it just... It, it well, just, and, that's, and that's part of the thing. And, and yeah. it's where this feels to me, this book was 2003. Right. The art and the color feel like 98. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that's very fair. 
and it feels a little outdated for the time. I mean, we're already, you know, Marvel's already years into Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And we're only a couple years away from, like, Civil War. Right. Right. And this book feels, if I just look at the art and I looked at this book and had no idea what it was, I would swear this was somewhere like 97, 98. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair to a point. You know, again, there were there were colorists who were who were doing the Lord's work on a lot of books back then, but I think there were more books than not that 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 really exemplify that nineties feel like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so let's get back into the plot a little bit. So we're we're talking we're talking they make a bet, right? We were talking Grandmaster and Krona. They make a bet to 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 find out. Krona wants the secrets of the universe. Yep. Grandmaster loves playing games, right? Yes. So, so <laughs> Grandmaster says, "Hey, if you want the secrets to how the universe was formed, I know the guy. Right? I know the guy that was here at the beginning, was here before the universe was created, before and I missed, b- right. before I was here, and I'm." an elder of the universe. Exactly. Right. <laughs> He's like, I know the guy and I'll tell you what, we're going to make this bet. And if I win, uh, you don't destroy my, my universe. If you win, I'll give you the name of, of the guy. Right. Yeah. I'll hopefully answer your question. Right? Yeah. So that's their bet. Um, and the, and the way that they play this out is they each get a team of champions. I, you know, the JLA on one side, the Avengers on the other side, and they tell them to go collect a series of, essentially cosmic relics right right and we have six cosmic relics from the dc universe six cosmic relics from the marvel universe so so let's just run through these quickly and and you can kind of give us like a maybe a quick breakdown of some of this stuff so um, so first of all from the dc universe they have to collect the spear of destiny yep the Spear of Destiny had been a uh, uh, an item that had been in DC continuity since 1977 in the book Weird War Tales. Um, <laughs> I, I did the research just just to put, I'm pushing my glasses up my nose right now. But uh, after that, it was pretty much the Deus Ex Machina in the DC continuity that kept the Justice Society of America, the World War II era super team of super teams from in mm-hmm. from invading hitler's europe okay. so yeah so it's what kept all the superheroes in the homeland so that characters like sergeant rock and the blackhawks would actually be fighting the war okay yep so so second item is the book of eternity right which is actually and this this stunned me because and it's such a nit this is like the most microscopic <laughs> nitpick that i have are you getting pedantic on us i will be the pedantor is my new is my, <laughs> don't mistake that for anything else kids um no it's it's supposed to be the book of destiny of destiny of the endless mm-hmm. destiny used to be oh a, I yes okay. all right you're making sense to me now Right. And it was basically, it's a giant book where if you turn to any page, you can read the story of right. anyone right. In, in the universe. And uh, it's it's a, a tome of vast power. Even if you were to scribble in the book, you could change someone's history. Right, right. So, or what's to become of them. Okay, yeah, I was not clear that those that was supposed to be the same item. Yeah, I, I think okay. that's a big editor's miss. I'm sure that now, if there's another book called the Eternity Book, I'd be shocked. I I, I went digging for it and I couldn't find it. Yeah, so. I'm not totally sure, and I wonder if they had to change the name for some kind of you know reason for Neil Gaiman, right? Or or it, kind, it might have know. been because Vertigo wielded a lot of power editorially at right. this point, so right. that might have been a thing. 
Um, okay, so the third item is the Orb of Raw. Right, the Orb of Raw, another Deus Ex Machina machine from the DC universe. Which is what all these are. I mean, all these are basically. Yeah, that's what the, essentially. That's what, yeah. They're all things to give people powers or to give villains the means to to take over the world with the Orb of Raw. Um, there was an archaeology uh, archaeology expedition that mercenary Rex Mason, no relation, uh, was <laughs> hired to guard in Egypt, and Rex Rex picked up the orb of raw which immediately transformed him um into metamorpho the element man so he is a character that if you're not familiar with uh, dc first appeared in 1965 um he can um assume any shape stretch like plastic man but he could also rearrange his body to mimic any element as well so hydrogen helium sulfur lead you name it Mm-hmm. So he can become any any uh, chemical element or composition in any shape and stretch and be a weird stretchy guy too. And he only <laughs> his body was composed of five different colors, and he didn't. He he had all the charisma of uh, Ben Grimm, the Thing, mm-hmm. after the Orb of Ra was done with him. So <laughs> that's 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 all it did was make him metamorpho. Okay, so the the fourth item on the list is the Medusa mask. The Medusa mask. Okay, now we're getting into some deep stuff. So there was a psycho pirate, which was an enemy of the Justice Society in the original uh, all-star comics from back in the 1940s. But the Medusa masks weren't introduced until the second psycho pirate met the first psycho pirate in prison. And (laughs) the first psycho pirate told them of these golden these these magical golden masks that were made in Greece that could each like one was a happy mask one was a sad mask and one was an anger mask uh-huh and so this character by the name of Roger Hayden who became the second psycho pirate um, found these three masks that the the first psycho pirate who died in prison told them upon his release uh, smelted them mixed them all together and formed a new blank face mask that he could once he puts it over his face. And then when he reveals an expression on his face, like a, a look of fear or a look of anger or something, he could project that emotion onto somebody. Uh-huh. Um, he was also a major player um, uh, sidekick to the major baddie and crisis on infinite earths. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, so we got a couple more DC ones here. So this is a set. This is this is a set of, of, of items. The bell, the jar, and the wheel. And to uh, be more precise, it is the green bell of Uthul, the <laughs> silver wheel of Nyarlath, and the red jar of Kalathos. The, so, yep, the Demon 3. The <laughs> Demon 3, Abnegazar, Wrath, and Ghast. Uh, these were uh, first appeared in Justice League of America. If I remember right, it's issue number 10, as they were collected by the, the uh, evil wizard Felix Faust. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the three demons were summoned from those three, which were imprisoned in each of those items, were summoned once they were all put together uh, to plague the JLA. Mm-hmm. All yeah, right. They were bad, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, and then the last item uh, on the DC side is the Green Lantern power battery. Yeah. I mean, you're going, that's you're probably, going, that's go ahead. the most recognizable item. Yeah. It's, it, you know, there's not much to say. I mean, if, if you know Green Lantern Hell, if you saw the bad movie, you know what the Green Lantern power battery does. If you got a power ring, you, you pull, hold it up to the lantern, say the oath, and your ring is charged for 24 hours. First made its appearance in, um, 
Oh, great. Uh, uh, All American Comics, July 1940, I wrote down. But uh, this particular power battery was the one handed to Kyle Rayner when he was first created in 1994. And at this point, he was the only Green Lantern in the entirety of the DC universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how special a device this was. So that's why it was thrown in with the bunch. Right. Even though, even though it's it's super science, it's the only device of of the of the DC lot that's not magical, technically. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so those are the six items that they have to try to collect, right? Yeah. The other the other six items are are the Marvel side. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much more familiar with these. Um, one is the first item is the ultimate nullifier, right? Ugh. So. So this is a this is a famous item, right? Because this is the item that essentially scared away Galactus, right? When, yes. when Galactus was first create uh, was first uh, uh, appeared in in Fantastic Four, um, it, it was called the universe's most devastating weapon, and it can nullify any target that the that whoever's using it chooses. Right, right, um, and also I believe it can just it, it can, can it can eliminate their entire timeline, right? So it can change time as if they never existed. Is that yeah, correct? you can actually aim it at history. That's that's how devastating a weapon this is. Right, right. So we have the ultimate nullifier, the evil eye of Avalon. So I, I'm not a hundred percent familiar with this. Do you know what item this is? Uh, come back to me on that. I'll look it up real quick. I, I know it's from Avengers lore where I think they were fighting uh, Morgan Le Fay in okay. Avalon. Uh, evil. Okay. But essentially another Deus Ex Machina kind of thing. Yeah, I was a little I was a little unclear on which which evil eye they're talking about there um, or which Avalon, right? right. Um, so I, I wasn't quite sure. So the Wand of Watoom, right, is the yep. third item. So Deep cut from Doctor Strange. Yep. So this is a Doctor Strange item. This is a Stan Lee, Steve Ditko item where uh, it's, they can control um, the... The, it controls thoughts and can project them into mystical energy, yes. essentially, right? Yes. Um, so it's a powerful, powerful item. Right. It's um, The Watum is one of the arcane magical deities that, that Doctor Strange invokes as part of the Vishanti, if you've mm-hmm. ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. So he, he is a member of that, that triad of, of almost gods. Right. Um, the next item on the list is the casket of the ancient winters. All yes. right, so so that that's a cool name for an item, first of yes. all. So, so this is um, this is of Asgardian origin, right? right. Um, this is when it's opened, it can produce winter, basically, or a super icy cold, right? right. Just like uh, what's his name, the the ice giant, um, like Ymir. You know, like he, okay, he, right, yeah, he's or 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 um, um, Laufe, yeah, Lauf, yeah, he is. I mean, the cask of ancient winters doesn't just, and it's not just like shooting ice, like Iceman. Yeah. It's like it, it is like a winter of of the soul. It is a winter of physical. It, it's like it's like nuclear winter in a box, basically. Mm-hmm. So it freezes the world right yes um and then the last two items uh one of them it's the cosmic cube okay so the cosmic cube is is uh is an is an ancient relic that we that later gets retconned to essentially be an infinity stone right but it's what we think of in the for those familiar with the mcu it's the tesseract 
Exactly. Yep. So, so the cosmic cube is that um, it, it's, you know, it appeared many times via like Red Skull and Captain America fighting over it, trying to get a hold of it before it later got retconned into being one of the soul stones. Exactly. Um, yep. And then the last item on the list is the the infinity gems, right? Yeah. Um, is the actual the, the set of gems and, and the Infinity Gauntlet. So we, we know those, again, if you're familiar with the MCU, you're, you're familiar at least somewhat with the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, so that's the set of items. So essentially their plot right here, okay, is that they, <laughs> they need to get... Okay, now, now I left out the twist here, okay? Oh, so yeah. We have 12 items that we have to get. We have the JLA trying to get, get them. We have the... Avengers trying to get them, but here's the kicker. If the Avengers win and get more of the items, that means that Krona wins. So the Avengers are fighting for the DC side, even though they don't know it. Exactly. And the other way around. Yep. So, so, so Grandmasters champions are the JLA, right? Um, so essentially... They come to like they're they're kind of warping back and forth between universes. The universes are in a sense of they're 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 binding together. They're 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 unstable. Things are you know because of Krona's presence, because of all the the mixture of things going on, they're unstable and they're bouncing around. Um, Flash is kind of helping warp people back and forth a little bit. Um, there there's just a kind of a mess while they're trying to find these. In turn. They, they get told that they have to find these items. They start searching for them. They start getting in fights like, you know, oh, look, the JLA found the ultimate nullifier. So now, you know, uh, the, the Avengers have to go fight them and try to get it from them. Exactly. Right. And that's, it, that's a vast majority of the book. Yeah. Like that part, right, is just them kind of bouncing back and forth. Um there's a number of reasons why they don't like each other. They don't trust each other at first. Um, like, and it gets really nasty between uh, Captain America and Superman. Like, they both become the the angriest upon their first meeting right. for some weird reason. Right, right. And and in fact, so 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 the reason they don't like each other. So Superman, when when the JLA comes to Marvel's universe, they hear about this group, the Avengers, uh, that are supposed to be fixing problems, but they're seeing all the problems still with the world. Exactly. So they're like, oh, well, these Avengers guys are just crap, right? They're yeah. not actually taking care of any of the problems. On the opposite side, the Avengers go and they see, you know, like Metropolis, and they see, oh, Superman and, and the JLA are, are being worshipped. They they turn to think that the JLA are like fascists, right? Yep. That yep. are like controlling people, like like, and they're making them worship them. Yes. So that's essentially the root of their disagreement right from there. Um, now, now... Through this fighting, Batman and Captain America kind of figure out that something's not right. Yes, right, yes. and they kind of team up to try to get get a get a hold on the on what's really going on here. Um, but essentially, they get the items right. There's a fight to get the items. Uh, they get. It turns out it's uh, uh, JLA ends up actually getting more items. Right. Yes. Thanks. Thanks to a, a an event that takes place. You know, not not trying to. I mean, yes, we could spoil a seventeen year old story, but there is a ser series of events which causes the JLA to quote unquote win. 
Right. As it right. Were. So yeah. the JLA wins. Now, if you recall, the JLA is fighting for the Grandmaster for the Marvel Universe. So because the JLA wins, the Grandmaster wins. And the Grandmaster says, ha ha, Krona, you lose. You don't get to destroy our universe. Exactly. Krona, though, gets mad. Yep, he loses his crap completely yeah. and uh, shows everybody how he feels about that idea. Yeah, he decides. He decides. No, I'm not going to accept this loss. You're going to tell me the name of the cosmic being that can show me the secrets of the universe. Through through fighting, he essentially beats up uh, Grandmaster and forces him to tell him who it is. Who, of course, we're talking about Galactus at this point, right? Right. Right. Galactus, of course, was a, a, a being that was born out of the pre or was from the previous universe and was essentially condemned to re- relive the next universe as a cos- as a cosmic entity, right? Exactly. Well, as you know, ex- having experienced the death, he was like the last living entity of the previous universe mm-hmm. present at the um, heat death. Right. Of of the previous universe, and he was reborn as the the embodiment of entropy, right. of you know, which is which is a necessary life function, you know, because right. nothing in the Marvel universe is supposed to live forever, really. Right. And the Devourer could always come for you, essentially. So he is the galact- intergalactic universal boogeyman. Yep. yep, yep, and also what I you know is like he's he's one of the ultimate cosmic beings, right? Yes. He's 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 a force of the universe. Yep, is really what he is. Absolutely, um, and he was there at the beginning of the uh, uh, at the start of it all. He was there at the Big Bang, so yep. that's that's what Krona wants. He wants the information that Galactus can give him. Um, so Krona essentially beats the heck out of Grandmaster and takes off for Galactus. Um, in turn. He finds Galactus and he beats, he essentially uses, oh, oh, excuse me, I forgot about this part. The (laughs) Grandmaster stops and uses the items that they've collected to try to stop Krona. To to stop Krona, which essentially just kind of slows him down. And I would argue at this point, turns what could have been a done in one with maybe an additional 20 pages. Yeah. You know, as a supersized, giant, wonderful special between the two companies and gave us two issues of story that, while it makes perfect sense in a, in a long, long novel, um, gave us two issues of buildup. Right. Of nothing but buildup. There was, there was, the, the stakes were always going to be an issue for, yeah. and it was, it was announced from, from the beginning that it was a four issue miniseries, and look, I, I'm not a professional comic book writer. Will, I know that you've been involved. You've got your hands in with some indie comics, but I, I won't call you Kurt Busiek or Mark mm-hmm. Wade or Grant Morrison, you know. But I, I can tell you, as a fan of comics from a long time, especially in the eyes of of Jim from today, that you know it shouldn't take you. You shouldn't have strictly the beginning and end of your story be it. Right. You know, there, and I know I'm not describing this right. I know there's people I know who are much better writers than myself who could describe the process, the construction of stories so much better than I could. But as a reader, I felt like there were, there, there was a beginning, middle and end to the issues two and three, and it almost didn't matter. Yes, there was this subplot that was going on 
in this merged earth mm-hmm. and there was lots of and i want to say there was some great character moments i mean oh, no there were there were there this, were some this, themes that i loved yes and, and 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 this is this i would say to both fans of marvel dc and both is that you know where this book shines are not in the big cosmic universe threatening moments which is what i would argue should be the basis of a crossover you know this the 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 stakes in these in issues two and three were just not big enough and what i found interesting was how 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 you know with with the help of george perez's because you know one thing you could say about his detailing he can definitely get character motivation across in a picture mm-hmm. you know you could definitely read facial expressions and body language and things like that and, and Busiek's words were always well served by perez but man it was just there was just so much of this and some of it descended into soap opera at yeah. times yeah you know where you know i, I was like Oh God! I really did like this before. I thought to myself, right. you know. So I, what, what I would say is, is, yeah. is the you know during this part. So so back on plot just just for a second here. Okay. The, what what it what had happened was during Krona kind of became all powerful. Yes, and he essentially is is doing a process where the two universes are merging. We've kind of talked about that. And that's what we've, we, we've seen with these universes kind of merging throughout the book. We find out why is because Krona's essentially pushing them together. Right. And, and you see their timelines mingle and yep. shift yep. on page, which are some neat tricks and neat, neat yep. uh, writing and artistic devices. But I mean, my favorite, my favorite page of all yeah. of them was the beginning of issue three with Dr. Doom in the source wall. Oh my god, that was great! <laughs> that, that, it's, all, it's awesome, and I love so so. It, I that to me is like one of the coolest parts because that's an that's an idea in the book that goes, yep. oh, this is what this is what could be when these companies kind of merge, right? right? Or these universes merge. What would happen to Doctor Doom, right? Right? Why would he act? Oh, of course he's going to try to get through the source wall, right? And that's exactly what he would do. And and will weren't you left with the feeling after reading those first few pages in issue three, how cool it would have been to see Doctor Doom face off against the Justice League? Yeah, you know, and and, and, see, and, and that's what I that's what I'm saying. Where where I think that this book kind of has some failure is because some of the ideas in the book or the things that it hints at are much more exciting than the story we got. Exactly. You know, I would have loved to have seen it flipped. I would have loved to have seen Captain America face off against Brainiac and Lex Luthor, you know, Captain America and the Avengers. And then in the next issue have the story, which ends up on the first page with Dr. Doom embedded with the Promethean giants in the source wall. Yeah. You know, I mean, how cool would that have been? You know, what kind of threat? How would Marvel characters react to DC villains and vice versa? Yeah, I, I just, and I think it was a lost opportunity to tell this giant universe is spanning just, I don't know what to call it, war? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I mean, just this this war, this 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 almost Gordian knot of a, of a plot. And granted, a lot of it was probably driven by editorial on both sides, lawyers and crap mm-hmm. like that. But sometimes I also think that there are points when writers get just a little too ambitious. Yep. And, and, and God knows. And then Perez, he feeds off of it. You give Perez, you say, do this big, he'll do it big. 
Right. And he'll do it with infinite detail, which will draw your eye to that brick in the wall a thousand yards away that I mentioned before. So you know, it, it was it was daunting as a reader in in reading comic books temporarily. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, yeah. And I mean, essentially, that's what happens is it turns into a series of little vignettes of the universes mingling and them trying to fight, trying to find Krona and fight him. Yeah, um, and the whole second half of the book, the 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 ep- issues three and four, are basically that. And yeah. by the time, like I said, it, and it's very dense. There's a lot of panels, a lot of art, like we've talked about. So it's like, okay, hurry up and kind of get somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a point in like episode in issue four where like Spider-Man shows up and it seems kind of odd and out of place. Oh, and then the defenders show up for yeah. a panel, you know, and, and it's funny because it seemed like that was more Marvel characters. Like there weren't incidental DC characters. Like where were the teen Titans? Where were the outsiders? Where, right. you right. know, where were, you know, X, Y, and Z characters that were also popular at the time. You know, it didn't seem like, in those 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 little moments where you have those cameos, where it wasn't as cameo driven on the DC side, and I just thought that weird. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're looking for balance and equal representation for for both, it, it, which is what I would want as a publishing interest, I'm just curious why that didn't happen. It happened more so on the Marvel side. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that's a it was good weird. Point. It was weird. Um, I wonder if it, you know, I wonder if there was some kind of trade off because since essentially the main villain's Krona, this is the DC villain. So maybe. And, and, you know. and, and no, you know, come on. Let's let's all be real here. Superman was the guy who got to fight Krona in the end. Spoiler yep. alert. Um, yep. you know, so who, who else would it be, right? What they, what they come to find out is that, that Krona has used the husk of Galactus to kind of build a fortress out in which, space. Which looked great. Oh, no, it was awesome. It looked yeah. awesome. The but, idea of using, again, it's one of those things where the idea was greater than what we got, where the idea of him defeating Galactus and, yep. and, and then using his shell to form a fortress is awesome. Like, I would have killed to have seen a Jack Kirby version of this. Oh, you God, know what I mean? Could you imagine? Or, you know, even one of his, his uh, you know, uh, his his apprentices, you know, so as to speak, like Steve Rude or one of those guys. Right, right. You know, you know, or, Jose Ladron or, you know, just drawing. You know, it was the first time we got to see. Even, right? What, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was the first time we got to see the the villain or, hell, even heroes using the, the carcass of a dead space god as a base. And right. No, nowhere from Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm looking at you. Uh, this was done first. <laughs> right. It was uh, it was cool as hell. And again, it was lost because it was just on one page. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it was, was just, just on one page. Yeah, it was just kind of an incidental. Yeah. And, and, I'm, I'm hanging out in Galactus's corpse. Come get me. You know? <laughs> Come on. No. And again, it's just an example of where those ideas were far more exciting than the rest of the book to me. Dr. Doom um, in the Promethean Wall. Yep. Galactus as a headquarters. Yep. You know? Give me the stuff that leads up to that more, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so, essentially, they come, they fight Krona, um, and they they essentially win via Hawkeye with a TNT arrow. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what happened. Hawkeye I, used a bomb arrow to win. I mean, <laughs> 
I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, at one point, Superman has both Captain America's shield and Mjolnir right. and Hawkeye. <laughs> That's it. You have the TNT right. You have Superman using, like, again, like you said, he's got Captain America's shield. He's got Thor's hammer. You think this yeah. is, whoa, we have the all-powerful... But no, like Thor, no. Thor chucks, and I remember reading this because I, I, I had honestly finished rereading this for like the third time uh, about 20 minutes before we came on air. And at one point, Superman says something to the effect of when he when he has he thrown Mjolnir by Thor, he grabs it, and he apparently he's worthy enough in the moment, they say. Uh-huh. And he says, the power, my God, I've never felt anything like this before. Right. And he's outdone. Superman is out outdone by Clint Barton. Yeah. Who I who I love Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. But dude, dude. Yeah. Oh, that killed me. No. <laughs> no. Like, again, again, it, it, the idea was cool. It didn't pay off, I feel like. It was right? it was honestly before Avengers Endgame, that mm-hmm. that moment of of thunderous applause, excuse excuse the pun. In the audience, we all felt when we saw Endgame when Captain America picks up Mjolnir. Right. It was that. It was that moment in 2003 for for us fans of both Marvel and DC. Right. It was like, wow, Superman's going to whoop all kinds of ass, and and yeah, he went nuts for for a couple panels, and it looked great. But but yeah, Hawkeye solved the problem. Right. Right. No, no, and in fact, he circus circus kid. He went. He went crazy for literally two panels. That yeah, you're crazy. right. You're it right. Was two panels, and then he got blown up. Yeah, you're like, right. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it yeah, just, it just didn't quite pay off. I feel like. Um, yeah. Now they defeat Krona, and yep. they still have a problem of the universes being merged. Yep. So this is where this is, and you'll have to kind of explain the mythology for me. Okay. I don't quite understand what happened here, but we have Hal Jordan Specter show up. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit about Spectre and Hal Jordan's place as Spectre. So this is just before Green Lantern Rebirth. I want to say Green Lantern Rebirth was done just two or three years later. And uh, uh, by Jeff Johns and the artist who I shall not name on any broadcast. Um, and uh, it was a uh, uh, great reinvigoration of the character. But as we know, uh, as some readers might, or of comics might or might not know, Hal Jordan um, gave into his fear, gave into the yellow impurity in the ring, which was revealed to be the fear entity Parallax, mm-hmm. and um, pretty much uh, succumbed to it and destroyed the Green Lantern Corps. Um, you know, and eventually, you know, he was a cosmic villain for a year or two, and then in the final night crossover where the Sun Eater which is this nebulous-like animal that feeds on suns, enveloped the sun of the Earth that the Earth uh, orbits. And um, Parallax rediscovered, Haldron rediscovered his heroism, rose above the fear, and using the vast cosmic power of, of Parallax reignited the sun. So he was able to redeem himself for all the lives that he took to say, to 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 gain the power of parallax which is for a whole nother reason i'm not going to get into um so when he gave his life after that there was a uh there was a crossover between the magical characters of of the dcu that that the name of which escapes me right now Mm -hmm. 
but eventually Jim Korg and the human's uh, soul that was connected to the specter, which is at that point, God's wrath had to be anchored to a human soul for it not to become corrupted. So Hal Jordan comes up in heaven. Jim Corgan says, Hey, I've been at this since 1941. Can I go to heaven now? Mm -hmm. God says, okay, you're cool. Hal Jordan, come over here. And at that point, he binds the spirit of the specter to Hal Jordan. Now this is the first step into the, the rehabilitation of the character. Um, I never agreed with the direction they took Hal Jordan in and making him a villain, even though I came to love Kyle Rayner. Um, but it hurt me because I was a Hal fan from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I don't know if I was the biggest fan of, of Hal Jordan still being a cosmic entity. Um, there were some interesting stories that were being written uh, of this period of Hal Jordan's uh, career where he became um, he, he basically. It was cool in the fact that it showed just how powerful his will was, where he was able to will the specter away from vengeance, and he became a spirit of redemption. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. told a series of specter-like really big um, stories in the DCU, but instead of, you know, the specter visiting God's wrath on these evildoers who are beyond uh, earthly justice... Um, he's reaching out to people who need to be redeemed or who want to be redeemed. Yep. And it was really cool. So in that case, how, how Jordan, you know, had that, you know, was, was still there. So it, it was a, it was a cool thing to kind of see how Jordan as a specter, cause really he could be big enough to hold two uh, interdimensional earths apart from what colliding into one another. Right. But but that was the Easter egg for non non DC fans in a nutshell, which Got is it. a very very large nutshell, I admit. Got so, it. Yeah. So <laughs> so, uh, so essentially, the Hal Jordan breaks in and splits the universes apart, right? Yes. Um, and what you start to see is the aftermath of that. Just a little bit as the universes start separating, you see things like Galactus reforming out of the rubble. Right. Exactly. Uh, you see things starting to write themselves, essentially. Yep. Um, and that's almost the total end. You get a tiny little a tiny little like blip at the end where what happens is the energy of Krona essentially becomes a new cosmic egg. Yes. That is that will be a universe uh in another time that will sure. give birth to a future universe right 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 um and you see a little conversation just at the end between grandmaster and metron about this um but that's essentially it he becomes a cosmic egg and that's the end that's literally the last panel yeah the cosmic egg uh was featured later in the um uh maxi series trinity it was a weekly right. weekly okay. series um that uh featured all different kinds of DC characters, but was specifically centered on Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Right. So you can read more about it there, but it, 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 it was just essentially another deus ex machina, another, another MacGuffin for another story. But yep. I think the full potential of the egg is, is still usable. You know, if you want to ignore, since that was in the previous earth continuity before the new 52 hit, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's what it is. It's an egg. Yep. So what happens when you when you crack an egg? We'll find out. Either well, it's a really really tasty omelet, or uh, it'll give birth to a baby universe. Who knows?
Yep. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Right. That's yeah. the book. So, I mean, I, I think we've made it kind of clear our thoughts and opinions on this. It's not, it's, you know, to kind of wrap up the overall thing, my, my, my side of this is that, I, you know, I enjoy this read at, okay. Um, I have no real connection to it. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. Like, like I said, the idea of of doom in the source wall, the idea of this like husk of Galactus, was by far the most interesting parts of there. Those are the parts I'm going to remember and I'm going to think about. Right? Um, the the story doesn't do much for me. Um, yeah. it, it was okay, but it was a lot of dense beat 'em ups, like a lot. And look, um, if 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 you as a reader like dense beat 'em ups, yeah, there's your book. Di- Oh man, there's a whole lot of beat em ups. And if you love obscure characters, like, you know, I love obscure characters like Jack of Hearts from Marvel. I love mm-hmm. Jack of Hearts. Jack of Hearts, I think most artists, except George Perez, hate drawing him because the level of detail <laughs> in his costume. You get to see Jack of Hearts in action. You get to mm-hmm. see Steel in action. You get to see, you know, you get to see. Uh, Hank Pym in all of his different costumes, right? Uh, over that he's had Ant Man, Giant Man, Goliath, Yellow Jacket. Um, I just wish that they, they brought back Al Milgram's Scientific Adventure red jumpsuit. That would have been cool. Um, <laughs> no, it wouldn't. That would have been terrible. But you know, the the essentially there's so much that that you know, and, and when I'm looking back on this book, yes, it, God, it's such a dense read. But there were some great ideas, and you know. This is one of those books that misses the mark for the most part with me. And so I, 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 for the most part, agree with you. Maybe I would, if we used a scale system for this, I'd rate it maybe a point or two higher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but overall, it's, I think what I'm going to remember this crossover for is what could have been versus what actually happened. Right. And that's, and that to me is, is, is where it that, kind of, that's where it fails. Right. And that's, and that's hard to say about two creators who I think are legends each and, and, each and in their own right. And a book that is very highly regarded. I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard that this book was on people's Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah. Crossovers. Um, yeah. I, and I don't know if they fall into the trap like you did, where you loved it when you read it, when it came out. And now that you look back, maybe it doesn't hold up as well. Yeah. Um, or if they just, I mean, this it, maybe it really does speak to them, but I've heard tons of people, we saw comments on Facebook and on Twitter of people talking about how much they loved this book. And and um, you know what? I don't want any of those people to lose, lose an ounce oh, of that of love for this book. You know, this, this is a book, and I, look, for me, it, look, even as hard as the story was to get through, I was talking about those character moments that only Kurt Busiek knows how to bring. That was fantastic. Those that line work that George Perez does, it's all fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. when we see it, you and I, because we talked offline uh, a couple of days ago, and Will's like, he kind of gives me the heads up. Ah, I wasn't so sure about this book, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he thought I was like, ah, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and but you know, again, perspective, you know, gives us a chance to to revisit. And ask us, can we go back to this book again? And you can do that with some books. Yes. You can do that with a lot of books. And, and to be fair, and to some be books fair, don't age as well. Yeah. And to be fair, I think this book is fine to go yeah. back to. I think that, but like I said, if I saw it, I would not expect it to be 2003, 2004. But it's no, it's like we said at the beginning of this podcast, it is no Batman Punisher dumpster fire. No, 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 oh, no. no. 
No. no. But it's also no it's also no X-Men Teen Titans. That's right? and and honest to God, that's that's where you gotta put it. You gotta put right. somewhere in the middle, maybe up up a little bit halfway between the top and the middle. I don't know, but it's oh, it's, it's not you know, it's it's not the worst thing, but it's not the greatest thing either. That'd be a fun idea to do someday. Is like like, like after getting like a, a set of these done and then ranking them, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, well, I think we talked about that before. <laughs> doing like a Mount Rushmore. I like know? that. I like yeah. that. That that's um, that's one. Let's let's take that offline. Yep. Um, <laughs> or cool. you know what? What can I can I pitch this? If you out there in the in the listenership have your ideas of the last several episodes that we've done. What would you consider to be the, the, the top of the heap? Maybe your top three or four. What right. would be on your Mount Rushmore of intercompany crossovers? Just hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag Epic Crossover. Right. How's that for a plug? Yep. Huh? It works huh? well. And we follow that, we follow that uh that hashtag. There's a there's a few there's a little bit of noise on that hashtag, but not much. Yeah. So, so it, it's usually pretty safe. Um so with that said, um Let's kind of let's talk about next episode. So, for the next episode that we're gonna do, um, you know, we we tell fans and we tell people who listen all the time, hey, if you have a suggestion for a crossover that you want us to break down and kind of talk about, let us know. And we we got we got a a friend of mine who suggested that he he wanted to hear and see Superman Silver Surfer. Um, so this is the Superman Silver Surfer from 1996-97, right in there. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that. I mean, I remember this book exists. I remember it at the time, but I don't know if I even ever read it at the time. I know I didn't. I'll be quite <laughs> honest. I wasn't because, you know, that was after the death and rebirths of Superman. Yep. I was only reading Superman and Justice League. That was it. Right. So I would love to to dive into this book. Yeah, and I'm curious what the story is because, like I said, I don't re- I don't know if I I might have read this, but I have no idea off the top of my head what even the plot of this book is. So I'm kind of excited to see what are they going to do with Surfer at this point in time. Like, how are they going to interact? What is are is it Surfer going to DC World? Is it DC, is it Superman coming to Surfer's World? Right, and and who are we facing off against? Right. right. Exactly. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty excited to read this one. I, I I have a copy of this book in a physical copy in my collection. I nice. just, you know I've never read it, and so I, it's a good good excuse to bust that thing out. <laughs> and, and I just read um, from my collection uh, Stanley and Mobius's Parable, Silver right. Surfer Parable, right. right? Which to me is, I mean, honestly, is might be the best Stanley writing ever, and then. Obviously, Mobius's artwork, right. you know, the late, great Jean Giraud. Yep. Um, I, I just, I'm kind of in a Silver Surfer frame of mind right now, if that makes sense. <laughs> and I can't wait to read this book. Yep. yep. Yeah. Who, who's the creative team on that, Will? Um, I'm not sure. Am I, mean, I putting you on the spot right now? You are. <laughs> Hold on. I don't even know. Again, I haven't even looked. Give me one second. I'm going okay, to Superman, up. Silver Surfer, uh, George, with, George yeah. Morris, Ron Lim, and Terry Austin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a couple of online panels of it right now. Whew. Yep. Yeah. That's a. Uh, that's going to be fun. I think we're going to have a good time reviewing that book. Yep, yep. So we're doing a couple George Perez pieces in a row. Uh, yep. In this case, George Perez is the writer. Yes. So we yes. have Ro- we have Ron Lim with Terry Austin. Now, of course, Terry Austin inked. The, the great X, the, the X-Men Teen Titans book we talked about. Um, 
and but possibly he, one of the greatest comics anchors of all time. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He is easily on my Mount Rushmore of comics easily. anchors. Easily. Yes. Um, and so Ron Lim, of course, Ron Lim was very popular doing a lot of surfer and cosmic stuff at that point in time too. So, um, so it'll anytime, be cool to any. Yeah, anytime an artist couldn't meet a deadline, you call up Ron Lim. He knocked that book out. I mean, <laughs> he. I love Ron Lim. I, there's just something about that guy's style where it just works for me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this book a lot. Cool. So with, yeah. that, with that, Jim, why don't you uh, tell the, the, the kind folks where they can find and interact with you? Yeah, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, search Jim Mason. I'm the, the tallest one on there. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but uh, more easily found on Twitter at Jimmers with three M's. I'm still still looking for the guy who got the Jimmers with two M's. Yeah, I'm, we'll get I'm him. keeping my eye out for you, mister. But uh, no, seriously, Jimmers with three M's. Hit me up and just let's talk comics. You know, yeah. um, it's it's an interesting time as in the industry as we record this. And, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what future point, you know, what exact date this this episode is going to go on. But I think it's safe to say if your comic shop is still around do in during this this um uh, global uh, pandemic that we're dealing with and you love comics, you love the medium of comics, express your love for the medium of comics. And, and you know, the, I am certain that they have back issues and trade paperbacks yep. and other collectibles because the, the comics industry is driven by small business. Do what you can to support yours. If, if they're still around, God hope God willing they are. And uh, you know, just order some back issues. There's plenty of comics. I bet that you yep. would love that you haven't read uh, read yet. Yep. So give, give them a shot. And then do you, do, do you want to take a quick plug at, at what you've been working on your project? Uh, yes. Thank you. So um, I have always had an interest. I've been podcasting off and on for years and years, but I've always had an interest in acting in, in particular, voice acting. I've done a lot of local and regional theater, um, but um, I've never really quite connected in the world of voiceover until now. A very close friend of mine, shout out to Damon Allums, uh, who is D. Allums on Twitter, Dallums. Uh, he is a, a professional voiceover artist who's a very good friend of mine, been a friend of mine for almost 20 years now if not more than 20 years now, I think about it. Um, he uh, invited me to be a voice cast for something he's putting together. It's just a fan project. It's not officially sanctioned by DC Comics called The Batman Project, where he writes five-minute audio dramas of a, um, of a scene between Batman, one of his iconic enemies. In episode one, uh, it's Batman encountering Ra's al Ghul, the demon's head. Mm -hmm. In the second episode, I can't believe I'm that high up in the order, uh, I make my voiceover debut as Clayface. Nice. And uh, so that will definitely be out by the time this podcast lands. And I can't tell you just what a love for the medium I have and to actually get a chance to, to act in the world of the DC universe was just amazing. So uh, you can check out either the hashtag, the Batman project or uh, the hashtag TB uh, MP. So mm -hmm. the Batman project. 
So check out those two hashtags on all social media platforms. Check us out. It's available on Damon Alums's, and again, the last name is spelled A-L-U-M-S, on YouTube, where you can find The Batman Project and all the episodes by the tremendously talented cast and crew uh, that's uh, that's put this show together. I can't wait for you to hear it. Cool. Perfect. Yep. Thank um, you, sir. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can go to, of course, you can use the hashtag Epic Crossover like we've already talked about. But you can search for me. I go, uh, I'm at Golden Boy Photo One, uh, listed under 100% Comics. You can also find me on Facebook at 100% Comics, um, where what I do out there is I, I do, um, I, I publish some indie comic, underground comic anthologies, and I'm always looking for submissions, and I have submission guidelines, It's and it's all creator-owned. It's all independent. It's all small press. Um, So, you know, and we're looking not just for comic pages. We're looking for comic panels. We're looking for cover art, pinups, whatever, anything kind of comic related. Um, So feel free to to hit us up there and and give us a give us a quick tweet and let us know how we're doing. Um, Apart from that, I think that's all I got. You got anything else, Jim? Just that 100 percent comics. Guys, this is what indie comics is all about. You know, if you have not checked out indie comics and you've been with the big two and, and maybe Image and Dark Horse, but want to see, you know, what what is what the ground level of starting out in the business, maybe you're a writer who mm-hmm. has never had a, sh- you know, think dreams of writing comic stories because you're not much of an artist like me. Well, you know, find an artist and you might have an avenue in 100% Comics to yep. get published, to get, this is where you get your start. And this is where you get to see talent from all over the place. It is a neat anthology. Yep. Definitely check it out. And, so, and our, our, our biggest, the biggest thing that was exciting was, was issue two. Um, I printed um, parts of a couple different anthologies or, or excuse me, uh, like serialized stories. Uh-huh. And, um, they were they have been sold in shops all over the United States already or given away for free in some cases. So um, in, <laughs> in, including one of the one of the keys was that like, you know, that that they they were in shops in New York and in New Jersey. There was there was it was actually pretty exciting. So that that's the definition of exciting. So comic book fans, check it out. Now it's it's H and the percentage sign, right? Uh, it is that's for on, the that's on the masthead for, for the for the magazine, right? That's the, the magazine. magazine title, okay. right? Um, but just looking up one hundred, the number one hundred percent comics, right? Got it. Um, got it. So take a look for that, and uh, I think that's all I got. So let's let's send them out. Yeah, hey kids, uh, don't just read comics. Buy comics from your local retailers, and most importantly, to you, your family, your friends, and all the people out there, stay healthy, stay safe, and hell, I'll say it again, go read some comics. <laughs>